Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Yali Madad and hello to everyone. It's Reem Merchant, your host. And on today's show, we have Sonia Keshwani. Sonia is a strategic communication faculty member at Columbia University. She is a breast cancer survivor and a cancerpreneur, CEO and founder of Style Esteem Wardrobe, a line of fashionable head wraps for cancer patients. In her own words, I am a first-generation American Indian Ismaili Muslim. I am the first in my family to go to college, the first to earn a graduate degree. Um, I'm formerly a U.S. government official who is now a fashionista entrepreneur. Um, I'm also a breast cancer survivor and breast health advocate. I'm also a wife, a daughter, a big sister, and a cat mom. And I'm so honored to be here and to share my story. Can you tell us about uh, the journey for cancer that you faced? How did you discover it? And what was going on in your mind in those early times? Sure. My journey started in, let's see, March 2018, which was just a few months after I turned 29 years old. And at that point, the last few years, I basically included graduating from Georgetown with my master's, um, getting offered what I thought was my dream job in national security. I was the first Ismaili Muslim in that position. So it was a very big deal, a very proud and and at the same time, a humbling moment for me. Um, I had what I thought were the right relationships professionally and personally. And I was really on this track that I had set to go forward, which was just going to build off of the life that I had. Um, and so I was working really hard at that time, traveling and just, you know, trying to live my best life at that point. Um, and fast forward to March, 2018, um, I was at, uh, I was in Atlanta for Diamond Jubilee Didar, and I was getting ready during that time, uh, to go to Jamaat Khanna. And I discovered something really suspicious, um, while I was taking a shower And I kind of discovered it by accident. I'm not going to lie. And it was something that was alarming to me because it was unusual for my body. It's, you know, young women of that age, they tend to have lumps and bumps and and benign cysts in their breasts. But I knew that that wasn't normal for me. So immediately I was very, very troubled by the discovery. And um, my personality is such that I really have to investigate and get the answers and not stop until I know what's, uh, you know, what's at the root cause of this. And so that's what I did. I immediately, you know, called, well, I called my mom, she was on her way to Atlanta, but when she got to Atlanta later that day, I showed it to her. And then we, we went to Dr. Kwaja, who is now my oncologist and showed him what I found and he did an exam on me, a physical uh, breast exam. And so at that time we were, we were all very much, you know, on edge and, and very concerned and worried. At the same time, we were holding out hope that, you know, given my age, given the lack of family history, um, given the, you know, what I described earlier as the natural condition of, of dense breasts and 
um, and what, what that holds as far as lumps and bumps and all that for people my age. Um, we were holding out hope that it wasn't going to be anything serious and that, you know, we would do, you know, a, uh, an ultrasound or a biopsy and that it would come back fine. Um, and that's not what happened, of course. But, you know, we we were sort of fortunate that we were in a mental state where we were very much, you know, working on our spirituality. It was the year of, of the Diamond Jubilee and we were very much, you know, unified as a family, unified as a community. And that spirit definitely bolstered my mental state at that time. It helped me sort of rise above my own body and, and sort of even leave my own body for a certain time um, during during that Didar period and and just kind of focus on on what was all around us and and that occasion and that moment. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a duality of very scary, very um very worried thoughts and then also very happy and and very overcome with joy and and spirituality at that time. Yep, that must have been very difficult. Also difficult is the process of treatment, the chemotherapy. It is physically draining at the same time, mentally and emotionally draining. How did you endure this phase? What kept you going? So chemo, in my opinion, was the hardest part of my journey because I didn't know exactly how difficult it was going to be. Um, with each progressive treatment, it just got worse and worse because the recovery was less and less. Um, so the side effects were compounding. Um, and I had six rounds of intensive chemotherapy and then one full year of infusions for additional chemotherapies that were not as harsh, but still had side effects. Um, and this was my, my treatment plan. And in the very beginning of that treatment journey, I began to feel very dehumanized because I'd never been sick before. I'd never had to go to the doctor's office, you know, more than once or twice a year, maybe for like a, a physical checkup and a flu shot, let alone go to multiple appointments in a single day, have multiple blood draws and pricks and scans and all this um, within the span of like 24 hours. So it was a very tough time, but I, I early on tried to kind of hang on to that spirit that I was describing about, you know, having that internal strength that I got from becoming more connected with my spirituality that year. And this was something I'll be honest, which was new in my life. Um, I'd not experienced this level of um, commitment to my religion and my spirituality um, in adulthood up until that point. And once I'd experienced it, I didn't want to let that go. I didn't want, you know, that to be the first victim of, of cancer in my life. And so I made the decision that, okay, no matter what happens, you know, this journey is, is very tough and it will probably get tougher from here. There will probably be dark days ahead, but in that spirit, I, I wanted to reserve the light inside of myself to be the thing that you know, is a shelter for me. And so I had to make a few very small, small, but very big choices in the beginning. Um, I had to choose to slow down. I had to choose to take my mental health day by day, sometimes hour by hour, and sometimes literally minute by minute, um, making decisions. And at that making life-changing decisions requires you to be really present because whatever choices you make, you have to feel confident in yourself that you made the right choice for yourself because every choice has 
pros and cons, and you have to feel confident in the choices that you make uh, because it will impact the rest of your life. And so slowing down and taking your mental health very, very, you know, piece by piece is really important because you won't, you won't be able to at times handle a full 24 hours. You'll have to handle 60 seconds at a time. And so that's something that um, really helped me out throughout the many ups and downs of my treatment, um, especially on days when, you know, I couldn't, you know, get up and even get a glass of water because I was so tired. Um, and that's, that's the thing that helped me process it because I realized I don't have to do everything right now. I just have to do what's right in front of me. It's amazing how you could find this power within yourself. But also one thing that cannot be underestimated is the support of the family, loved ones, friends at such difficult times. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you received support from the people around you to go through this journey? So after my diagnosis, I made the decision that I would travel from Washington, D.C., where I was living and working full time to New York City, where my family was located for treatment. And that would take place every three weeks. So every three weeks, I was going up to New York City for chemo. And I made this decision because I thought, you know, why would I why would I do it anywhere other than where my family is? Um, my sister was very young. She's still very young, but she was in, in grade school at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't want my mom to feel like she has to come to DC to be with me. So I wanted to come to New York and be with my family and to be with them through the treatment and the recovery. And this is something that definitely um, made just sort of a, a an impact that I can't even measure to this day because having my mom there sitting next to me uh, while I'm in the infusion center um, getting wired up for my treatments and then having her at home and having my sister there and having my father there um, and just kind of taking care of me through those moments where you're basically being taken apart piece by piece for this treatment and being put back together a new person um, each time this happens. And um, having you know, having those little moments together with my parents because they would take the the time off from work to be there with me um, during treatment. And these little moments were things that I really began to value because I realized I wouldn't have these times with my family had I not been in that situation. And even though, of course, I I would give anything to not be in that situation, it's something that really helped me value my family so much more because I, I got to spend those very intimate, very close moments with them during that time. And, you know, I, I kind of didn't go beyond my immediate family at that point. I only communicated to my parents and my boss and a couple of friends who I had in DC, uh, what I was going through, because I also needed the support of my friends. I needed people to kind of be aware of my situation and to check in on me because I really, you know, I wanted people to ask me, are you eating right? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you looking after yourself? I also needed some friends um, to look in on my cat that I was leaving behind in DC each time I would travel. And so having that support, having that participation um, was really, really helpful. It was, it was something that taught me, um, you know, how to advise people as well going forward, because people ask, you know, what should I say to someone who has cancer? What should I say to someone who is going through treatment? And 
what I always tell them is be active, be an active support in their lives and ask them what day-to-day things do you need help with? Do you need me to check out, check in on you to see if you're doing X, Y, and Z? Do you need me to help you in your home with X, Y, and Z? And so um, those little, you know, acts of service from my friends, um, people who would bring over care packages with like organic and sugar-free treats, um, those things were just uh, so helpful. And it made me feel really special when, when my friends participated as well. It's amazing to see how your friends, family, even the community at large comes together at times of difficulty, whether it be uh, for an individual or some sort of community struggle that everyone's facing. But yeah. there is one critical aspect to this. It's all it's about your decision to talk about the this subject, to address mm-hmm. the subject. So how did you overcome that cultural stigma about opening up about your disease and telling people about it, not just to your friends and family through the process of the treatment, but to the world at large, including in this podcast? Sure. So one thing I want to emphasize to anyone who is listening and going through a challenge is forget everyone else. Think about yourself. You are someone who you will be talking to about who you are and about your life and about everything that you're doing constantly. I mean, we all have this internal dialogue that is like pretty much nonstop. One can say it's even going on when we're asleep with our dreams. And so it's really important that you get right with yourself first and understand what your story means to you. Understand how you want to address your story with yourself. How are you telling your story? Are you the hero in your story? Are you the victor? Are you someone who is, you know, slaying dragons? I think that's very important. You need to understand who you are before you can tell your story to anyone else. And you don't have to tell your story to others. You know, you can you can choose to keep your story private, but if you do tell your story, I think it's very important to know who you are truly on the inside. And it's also important to understand that, especially within our community, where certain topics have not necessarily gotten the, you know, the public stage in the past, when you do bring, bring these topics up, you will get questions, you will get um, interest from people, and it may not always be positive or constructive, but every interaction is an opportunity to turn it around and make it worthwhile. Um, it's important to understand that if you do talk about something like a disease you've faced, you have a role of, um, or a responsibility rather, to educate others, to educate others on how to better take care of themselves, how to better handle their health. Um, and any kind of interaction you, you have, hopefully positive, but even when they're negative, you can turn it around and make it a productive conversation. So that's really important to remember that, you know, you're in a role where you have that experience that you can share. And that's something that is really powerful. It's a really powerful contribution you can make. Talking about chemotherapy, the emotional part of this journey and how it affected your personal confidence. Can you address uh, the subject of hair loss and Going into that, your turban styles that you came up with. Sure. Yeah, hair loss is something that I think everyone pictures when they think of a cancer patient. We all picture a bald head, right? At the very least, that's something that is 
universal to the image of a cancer patient. And so when I was about to lose my hair, I was told by my doctor that, you know, you're going to lose your hair before the next round of chemo. You know, I just did round one. So before round two, I'm going to lose my hair and that I should go out and buy a wig and just be ready for it to happen. Um, and that that's really about it. Um, and that's what I did. I thought, you know, let me go and experiment and get a, a blonde wig and see how that goes. And it was fun for about the first five seconds until I realized um, hair loss is really painful. It's making me look in a way that I've never seen myself before. Um, this isn't something that is a, you know, experimental flashpoint in my life. This is about my identity, my image, my self image, the way, the way, the way I see my own strength, um, seeing the hair loss kind of made me feel weak, made me feel like I'm losing, you know, part of who I am to this process. And that mental aspect is not something that anyone prepared me for. And it's really not something that you can prepare for until you go through it. It's, it's a very jarring process. And, um, I really had to find, I had to use different kind of tools to create the confidence in my life because this is, you know, a first time experience going through something like this. It's, it's, you can't really substitute for your hair, but you can channel yourself into other aspects of, what makes you feel more like yourself. And so I did everything I, from, you know, trying out different, you know, accessories and lipsticks to creating a vision board or an inspo board where I had different quotes from my friends who have um, said really awesome kind of uh, things about how I'm handling myself and, and just reminding myself of the positive things that other people have said about me, people who know me really well, um, I had pictures on there of women that I admire, not necessarily uh, cancer survivors, but women across all industries that I just, I really um, held as an example of strength and, and courage and confidence. And um, that is a, a an item that inspo board is something that I had at home, but I also took it with me to the hospital when I had my first surgery. And it's something that was the first thing that I saw <clears throat> when I woke up from surgery. Um, so things like that, like constantly having that, re, you know, that positive reinforcement around you. And then of course the turbans, um, like I said, the, the wig situation was not tenable. It was not something that was sustainable for me. I found myself traveling to work, um, at a government office with my wig and my purse because it was too hot for me to wear it. And it was too uncomfortable for me to keep it on any longer than I had to from nine to five. And so. I started to look at other solutions and, and I realized, you know, everything out there is, um, you know, all the turbans out there, well, all the chemo beanies out there rather um, were making me look and feel like a sick person. And so I decided to start visiting a fabric shop next to my infusion center in Astoria, Queens. And each time I'd go for treatment, I'd bring home a few yards of fabric and I experimented each time I was in recovery. So every three weeks I had this ritual when I was leaving the hospital and I was starting to kind of feel the overwhelming anxiety of what it was going to be like to have those massive symptoms set in in the next few days, I distracted myself by going to this fabric shop and bringing home different, you know, beautiful fabrics and experimenting with my mom's sewing machine. Um, and this is something that really, from just the act of doing this, helped my mental health by giving me something creative to focus on, by giving me something to 
explore and and create with my hands. And at the end of the day, I did come up with these beautiful turban styles, like the one I'm wearing right now, um, that changed my quality of life. They changed the way I felt about getting dressed in the morning because I could coordinate my headwear with my outfits. I could dress in a way that was authentic to my personality, to my story as a, as a woman, not just my story as a cancer patient. And so this is something that became, you know, became a tool for adding fun and fashion and a piece of the old me back into my life. That's amazing. And thank you so much for talking about this journey in so much detail. I'm sure there are many people out there who are listening, who are facing their own struggles inside them, but don't know how to, you know, like address these issues. So thank you so much. Can you talk about the importance of self-exams and health checkups? Sure. Um, so breast self-exams are super, super important. Um, Right now, breast cancer is the most common cancer globally. About one in eight U.S. women will develop breast cancer over the course of their lifetime. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that this disease is closely related to genetics. And, you know, that that is true to an extent that if you have a mutation, um, that it changes your risk factors. But overall, only about five to 10 cancers um, with breast cancer are linked to genetic mutations. About 85% um, of breast cancer occurrences are with women like myself who have no family history of breast cancer. So it's really, really important that you are aware of your breast health and that you do your monthly breast self exams. This is something that you can do, um, you know, while you're getting dressed or while you're in the shower. It literally takes a minute or two. Um, you know, this is something that is very easy to do on your own. You don't even have to go to a doctor to do it. Although I do recommend you get your mammograms according to your age of, of uh, risk factor, um, which you can look up. But basically, this is something that you can do on a month to month basis between those mammograms that you're getting, of course. And so, um, you know, 50, about 57% of, um, breast cancer survivors detected the cancer themselves. So that is my story. And that is a story of so many other women and detecting a cancer early, um, it gives you the best possible chances for treatment and for survival. And so I really want everyone in our community to, um, you know, pick one person that they're going to tell, uh, to do their self breast exam, whether it's your, you know, your, your mother, your daughter, your wife, um, men are also at risk, but that's, you know, that's a, another conversation as well to be had. Um, but I really want you to be a touch point for someone else in your life and to encourage them to do their self-breast exam and for you to do your own. Um, it's really something that can save your life and, you know, something that can, um, you know, in the event of, of a diagnosis, dramatically change your treatment options to be able to have an early detection. Taking a step back, tell us about your growing up years, your education and your work before the diagnosis. Sure. I am a born and raised New Yorker. And um, my entire life, actually, I wanted to be in fashion. And this is something that I had a dream of that I wanted to be an haute couture designer. And I, you know, kind of pursued the drawing um, throughout my years in school, I was also very interested in, 
in all other subjects in science and history and so on. Um, but art was something that, you know, was, was always drawing me. And um, I, like I said, I grew up in New York. So throughout my childhood, walking on Fifth Avenue and seeing all the stores, all the high-end designers and all the windows, um, it just really stirred something in me that I couldn't match with anything else. And so this is what I thought I wanted to do and what my life calling would be. And of course, you know, my parents had a conversation with me that they wanted me to pursue a college degree that was a little bit more secure, um, a little bit, um, you know, more of a, a foundation for my life. And um, at the time, it was upsetting to me, but now I 100% understand where they were coming from. And so I thought, you know, my parents have told me I have to go to college and get something that's a solid degree. And then if I want to go on and do fashion afterwards, they, they would be totally fine with that. So in the meantime, what else am I passionate about? And it was right around the time that 9-11 had happened and being an Ismaili Muslim in New York City, being not even a teenager when 9-11 happened, this is something that really um, opened my eyes and kind of showed me that we need more people like us in the rooms that matter in this country, in, in the rooms that decisions are made, in the rooms that impact you know, our society. And so that is what I decided I would pursue. I wanted to do international affairs. I wanted to go to Washington, D.C. And so that's the track I put myself on. And that's what happened. I ended up in Washington, D.C., um, studying international affairs, focusing on conflict and security at the George Washington University. And that was such an exciting time in my life because I got to see how these things happen firsthand. I was interning at the State Department. I was kind of interacting with all these different organizations and professionals that um, were really kind of inspiring my my ideas about what could come next. And um, I got to, you know, I got to graduation, then I entered the the federal government, I was working in the legal space. And, you know, I, I kind of decided I want to have a career where I can talk about where I can talk about the government, where I can talk about the law, in a public setting where I can shape public discourse about these very important issues. And so I pursued a degree in public relations and corporate communications at Georgetown University, where I earned my master's. And after that, I actually had that, you know, the the dream job offer that we all kind of hope for at, at that time, you know, you go through so much experience professionally, and, and all the education, and you know, you get the, the moment that you were hoping for that you would be able to experience. And for, for me, that was a public affairs um, job at the Department of Justice, where I would be able to focus on national security. So it kind of came full circle um, on that that other dream that I had about being in those rooms where people like us need to be. And at that time, I still had fashion in the back of my mind. I was, you know, I was uh, kind of on the side working on a blog where I was talking about uh, fashion as a New Yorker living in D.C. and sort of the undertone was social issues and, and my life in, in the political space. And um, it was kind of turning into something where I knew I still wanted fashion, but I didn't want to do fashion for the sake of clothes and for the sake of just creating clothes. I wanted it to mean something more. And so it kind of perfectly matched up um, with the time of my diagnosis where I needed something, an item that was beautiful and functional that would help me in a critical time of my life with an issue that goes far beyond um, skin deep. It's, it's, you know, health, it's self-image, it's 
the the resilience that you need to look in the mirror when you are looking different every single day because of chemo. Um, and so that was the connection between my past life and my future life. And I kind of had to make a decision, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to kind of make good on my childhood dreams, I need to do it and I need to do it now. Um, and I need to do it not just for myself, but for others who can also benefit from my actions. Great. You also, at the beginning of this podcast, said that you were uh, the first graduate of your family. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of education and how uh, your parents have supported you through that journey? Sure. Yeah, my parents have been just my my champions through all of this for everything that for every twist and turn my life has taken, they've always, they've always been there for me. And I think, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where I think the biggest compliment you can get from your parents, at least in, in our culture is kind of, you know, I don't worry about you because I know you're going to be okay with whatever you do. And so in that way, they've, they've really let me kind of pursue my dreams and pursue, you know, what I think is my calling and um, they've championed me every step of the way. And um, it all, you know, of course, it starts from day one. But in college, when you're leaving your home, when you're the first in your family to go away for college and to separate from your family to pursue your education, that's, that's a really critical time. And having your family support is really a priceless thing. Um, and I think the, the education part where you know, I was able to kind of go in and pursue this kind of formalized path of education and career is important, but there's kind of a, a little gem in there, which um, is, has really influenced my life. And that is when I graduated from the George Washington University, our commencement speaker was actually Michelle Obama. And she came and she talked about service. She talked about being in service to others and being in service to your community. And she did this because she she basically said, I think it was 100,000 hours of community service, if I'm not mistaken. If, if your school does 100,000 hours of community service, I will come and be your commencement speaker. And so that's what happened. And she came and she talked about the importance of, um, you know, of, of being in service to others. And that is something that was a thread for me from graduating and having the support of my family and my community to looking forward. That is the lens in, in which I saw the next step of my life after college. On the same thought, what is the importance of faith and our ethics to you? Uh, also, after having overcome your own journey with cancer, what made you want to extend this work that you do to others to help others? So faith is really important because I think you have to understand that um, whatever whatever you're going through in your life, um, that you have that you have a very strong purpose within you. And sometimes you can feel like you are very lost and like you may not have that knowledge of what that purpose is, but that's okay because that doesn't mean that that purpose is absent. It just means that you have not learned what it is yet. And so faith is really important because I think that helps you kind of keep going when you might not feel like it, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling like um, maybe it's not worth it. Um, it's something that 
gives you that confidence on the inside. And you, you also asked about um, Seva. What was yes. the other question? Mm-hmm. How did you want to help others? So the concept of Seva right. is not just restricting yes. health to yourself, spreading it out right. there. So how, how did you find that inspiration to go out there, help other uh, cancer survivors, uh, sure. other fighters? I, yeah. I also know that you donate turbans uh, through yes. your organization. Yes. So for me, telling my story is about so much more than just myself. I'm I'm doing this to be of service to others and to help others become aware of their own health and to to help others talk to their own loved ones about breast health and about, you know, their self breast exams and how they should be, you know, going to regular checkups and so forth. Because this is something that is just I find that it's a missing piece in our community and I, I got to a point in my diagnosis where I was the first in my family to be diagnosed. I didn't know anyone else who was out in the open in our community talking about breast health or about their own diagnosis. And I was kind of just like a voyeur on Instagram looking at other young women who are outside of our community who are talking about this. And it seemed like this was a very strong conversation on the outside, but not necessarily, you know, within. And so that is something that I knew if, if I was going to make the decision to talk about my story one day, that that would be part of it. Um, and I knew that I had the sort of the ability to block out, um, you know, the, what will people say? What will people think? Because for me, it was more important for me to feel like my, my experiences had that purpose where I could give back and help others through what I've been through. Um, and so talking about the, you know, the health aspect is really important to me. And then also giving back, um, turbans, we do a one for one donation for each turban sold. We donate one to a cancer patient. And this is because of all the different sort of avenues of service that have existed around us that I've seen other people, even outside of our community pursue in a way that is, um, you know, carrying that thread of giving back and, and of selflessness. You are the CEO of Stylist Team and a faculty member at the Columbia University. Um, can you talk to us about these roles? Sure. Um, so as CEO of Stylist Team, I, I consider it my job to change the conversation around hair loss and empowerment during treatment. And for me, it's, it's about looking at hair loss as something that is before, during, and after treatment. It starts from the time that you are diagnosed and goes until the time that you are comfortable in your own hair and in your own skin again. And so changing the way we talk about being a cancer patient, changing the way we talk about fashion and self-image as a patient or as a woman going through hair problems, this is something that is really important to me. And it's, it's it's a thread that weaves through everything that I do every day. And so Every style that we create um, has a name that empowers you in your journey, in your hair journey. And everything else that comes after that, you know, putting that turban on should be the same. You know, our resources that we create through our blog and through our social media, any event that we do and any other content that we put out, all of our community sort of touch points are there to help you remember that, you know, you your hair is really important but you as a person are so much more than your hair. And that 
you know, your hair isn't something that should hold you back, whatever is going on with your hair. Um, because you as a person are always, um, you are always whole as you are, whether or not you believe it necessarily. And on the flip side, my role at Columbia University is something that I just, I really love. I love being in that academic space. Um, I'm someone who, much like all of us, you know, our parents always emphasized education and it was such a big part of, of growing up um, a smiley and, and having that um, education in your life was always a privilege and always a gift. And it's something that I just, I always have to pinch myself that this is something that I'm now giving back, um, you know, from the position of teaching and being able to educate others and help others grow in their path and in their life calling is something that is really important to me. And so, um, you know, this summer, I'm actually going to be teaching a, a very cause based communications class. And, and this is something that I'm honored to be able to do because it's kind of a validation that, you know, you're going down a path where you've, you've learned so much that you can now give back and you can now teach this to others. And so um, feeling that validation internally is is important. And it's something that I think we all should embrace when we feel it. And it's something that is important to build off of. And so those two things I, I find, you know, being the CEO of Style Esteem and teaching at Columbia, they're very much, you know, even though they're kind of two different worlds, they're actually very much connected for me. And um, whatever I gain in one area, I give back in the other. Um, and so it's a cycle that kind of continues. That's great. Now, looking at your life, after the treatment is over, after you have come out of the journey as a victorious person, uh, how have you felt that the dark times have ended for you on a personal front? During the time of your treatment, you might have felt that this is like a never-ending mm. you know, pain that I'm going through. But now yeah. that you're looking behind and you are actually at a much higher point in life than you were, how do you see life has changed? The reason I ask this is because a lot of our audience who are facing the struggle seem like they never end. So talk to us about how life has changed for you on the personal front after the treatment. Sure. Um, so life itself is, is, is not, unfortunately, something that has a start and stop point to struggle because there is struggle throughout life and um, cancer is no different. Um, when I was going through treatment, it was a very difficult time because it was very new to me and I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea what to do. There was no playbook that I was going by. And so going into that open darkness was a very challenging thing for me. And Finishing treatment, finishing active treatment, which took one year to do, was a very big moment for me. I really felt like that was a huge, huge chapter that I was putting behind me. And indeed it was. It was something that, you know, helped me feel like I was closing out that um, that chapter of, of my cancer journey. But going forward, you know, it's not to say that there haven't been challenges. There's a lot of um, uncertainty again that you face especially as a breast cancer survivor because um as a breast cancer survivor we don't say we're in remission we say that we have no evidence of disease ned um and we say this because 
breast cancer is something that you have to monitor going forward until an indefinite time because it is possible to have recurrences. It is possible to have um, other issues from you know any kind of surgeries that you went through or any other treatment that you had. And so it's not to say that once you you know, once treatment is over and the surgeries are done, that your life is completely different going forward. But again, I still employ the same mental um, technique of taking things, you know, hour by hour, minute by minute. And on days where it's hard, um, that's what I have to do. And going into the the forward of um, figuring out life as a survivor, figuring out, you know, basic things like how do I get my energy back? How do I get to feeling like I'm healthy again? How do I, you know, run a business full time? These are all very challenging things. But one thing I would say is you need to fill your life with things that get you excited to get up in the morning. And so even if I'm having a hard day, even if I'm feeling like, okay, I don't know if I feel that great. I don't know if something is wrong. I don't know if I should call my doctor or am I just being a hypochondriac? Like, you know, some days you just have those millions of thoughts that um, to be honest, can paralyze you, but you need to have something bigger than you to focus on to get yourself out of those thoughts. And so for me, that's my business. It's my family. It's my marriage. Um, and it's, you know, the, the overall purpose that I remind myself that I have that is, is kind of anointed to me based on who I am as an individual. And so you need to think about that because, um, Cancer itself is something that stays with you. Even when the disease is gone, the experience stays with you. The darkness doesn't leave you too, you know, too far behind. It's something that you will always remember that you went through. But the good news is each day that you get through after diagnosis or after you receive that bad news of whatever challenge you're going through, you have to remember that you did that. You got through that day and you got through the next day and the day after that. And who does that? A strong person does that. A brave person does that. Someone who is like really powerful and really strong does that. And you need to remember that that is very meaningful and that is you. That is who you are. Last question. Um, can mm -hmm. you share some food for thought for our audience who have uh, so graciously taken the time to listen to this podcast? So there's a quote that I leaned on a lot during um, my treatment. and when I was deciding whether or not to launch my business and to go down that path. And um, the quote is by Lady Gaga. Uh, my cat's name also happens to be Lady Gaga as a fun note, but um, Lady Gaga, the, the singer, she has a music video. And in that music video, she says, you might say I lost it all, but I still had my bedazzler. And so this makes me think of, um, you know, you can really lose everything in life. You can lose everything that you thought was supposed to be your life, um, but you still have within you that tool, that special something that makes you who you are to rebuild and create magic. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Ismaili Connection. If you'd like to connect with Sonia Keshwani or learn more about any of the resources she mentioned, check out the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please give us a review and a five-star rating on the Apple or Google podcast apps. It takes less than five minutes to do that compared to the hours of work that goes into each podcast episode. 
so we'd be grateful for your time and support. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Reach out to us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented Kes Ali. Marketing for this episode was carried out by the stellar Amal Musa. Our cover art is designed by skilled Shakil Muhammad. Also, many thanks to Zoha Momin, the head of strategic initiatives at IPN. And lastly, I'd also like to thank the team behind SimonSays.ai, the software that helps the Ismaili connection get its transcripts.